seems a little bit redundant because genuine mercy is pretty radical in and of itself. The other really neat thing about radical mercy is that it has some amazing power. So we're going to talk about that today. Something that's really radical again, meaning it's going to help us grow deep in something that has an amazing amount of power. Now I'm going to tell you up front that I have a lot of passion for what we're talking about today because I think it's something that I definitely need in my own life and I'm pretty sure that everybody else here needs it just as much. I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, where Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, we probably ought to define mercy for you. Mercy means giving someone what they need instead of what they deserve. Now, let me say that again. Mercy is giving somebody what they need instead of what they deserve. Now, explain it another way. You and I deserve to be separated from God because we ignored him. We deserve to go to hell because of our sin. We've gone our own way. We've trusted in ourselves. Now, that's what we deserve. But here comes mercy. Instead of that punishment, God shows us mercy. He sends Jesus into this world to give us forgiveness, to give us a brand new life. Forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. That's the good news. God wants to give us mercy, and he also wants us to show that same kind of mercy to other people in their lives. Now, here comes true confession. I'm not very good at it sometimes. I'm going to tell you why I'm not very good at extending God's mercy. My wife already knows part of this story, that the very first time I took a spiritual gifts inventory, when I was done, when it came to mercy, I scored zero. And that really bothered me because, after all, a pastor should be merciful, right? And I thought about that until I heard one of the pastors of one of the largest churches in America who said he scores zero in mercy as well, but he's working on it. Now, if I were to take that same test today, I don't score zero anymore, but I don't score a perfect score. It's not one of my high spiritual gifts. But I, I think I finally figured out why this is. And this may be why some of you aren't as merciful as some other people. Here's my best guess. I'm a teacher at heart. That's just the way God wired me up. I'm not a preacher, per se. I'm a teacher. And I get excited about God's truth. And I get excited about what God's truth can do in people's lives. So, sometimes when people come to see me, and they tell me that they're going having a problem, the very first thing I want to do is what? I want to teach. I want to say, here's a truth that will solve your problems. But, if somebody's had that problem, let's say, for 20, 30, 40 years, they don't need my five-minute teaching, my five-minute answer first. Oftentimes what these people need to hear is mercy before they ever hear the answer because mercy is what opens the heart to the fact that there could actually be an answer to their problem. That's my story and I'm sticking with it. 
All I'm saying is I'm working on it. Learning to be a better listener before I provide the answer. That may be some of you as well. Maybe. Some of you, your picture is right there next to the word mercy in the dictionary. God bless you. We need you. Now, as we talk about radical mercy today, there are a couple of things that you need to know. Here's the very first thing you need to know. If I want to practice mercy, I must first know mercy. In other words, you can't give to other people what you yourself don't have. And see, the great good news is that God's mercy is something that he wants to give to you. It's a gift to us. On your outline, maybe it's up on the screen, uh, 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So how do I get it? How do I get mercy? God wants to give it to me. How do I lay hold of it? Well, let me go back to a, a story in the Bible. Many of you remember this. It has to do with a, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Jesus is telling a story about two guys who went to church to pray. One of them, the Pharisee, walked up and stood right in the front, probably marched right up to the altar, and said, God, I thank you that I'm as good as I am. I'm glad that I'm not as bad as that person sitting in the back row of the church. And then Jesus said, the guy in the back row, the tax collector, he said he stood at a distance. He would not even raise his head and look up into heaven, but he beat his breast, which is a sign of sincere repentance, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then Jesus asked this very critical question. He said, which prayer do you think God answered? Which prayer do you think God listened to? Well, the answer is the prayer of the guy who is honest with God. Do you want to receive the gift of mercy that God wants to give you? Be honest with God. Be honest with God. That's how you experience God's radical mercy. And you know something? To receive that is a daily experience. In the book of Lamentations, you see this passage. It says, the Lord's love never ends. His mercies are new every morning. Now, think about this passage. That's that last part here. The Lord's love or his mercy never ends. His mercies never stop. They are new every morning. Now, if God's mercies are new every morning, how often do you need God's mercies? Every morning. There you go. Every day. There you go. Every day I'm going to receive that gift by what? Humbling myself before the Lord. Here's the second thing I want you to know. Once I know God's mercy, once I experience it, then I will show mercy. In Luke chapter 6, 36, Jesus said, show mercy just as your Father shows mercy. In fact, God says, if you've experienced my mercy, it's inevitable that you will share it. If you think you've received God's mercy, though, and you don't extend God's mercy to other people, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. 
mean, if you're sitting there comfortable, plop in your pew, say, oh, receive God's mercy, new every morning, I take a good dose of it every day, and yet you walk out of here and you hold grudges against people, you gossip, you gripe against other people, you don't cut anybody any slack, you don't give anybody the second, you don't give them a benefit of the doubt, you're only fooling yourself. Colossians 3.12 says very clearly, since you've been chosen by God, who has given you this new kind of life, this merciful life, and because of his deep love and concern from you, you should do what? Practice tender-hearted mercy and kindness towards others. In other words, God acts, you respond. You act. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is where part of the reading where the dentist shared with you before, here's what Jesus had to say about different ways that you begin to live when you begin to show mercy. In, in Bible class this morning, we were talking about how do you measure your spiritual maturity? How do you know if you've gotten more spiritually mature? I want to suggest to you this morning that what Dennis just read to you would be a good illustration. In fact, I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to read it for you one more time. He said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't stand up against an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. If someone wants to sue you in court and take your shirt, let him have your coat too. If someone forces you to go with him one mile, go two miles. If a person asks you for something, give it to him. Don't refuse to give to someone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who've hurt you. If you do this, you will be true children. There you go. You want to know whether you're making progress? You'll be true children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on good people and evil people. He sends rain to those who do right and those who do wrong. In that passage are five radical steps to mercy. And I'm going to be honest with you. These are God-sized steps that we all need to take. The problem with taking little itty-bitty steps is what? We think we can do it all by ourselves, on our own strength, but we can't. And so we get frustrated. But you know, when you take really big, God-sized steps in pursuing this, you suddenly realize you can't do this by yourself. You need somebody else's help. And God says, I'm there to give it to you. So with that in mind, what does Jesus say we could do in order to see where we are mercy-wise? Here's the very first one. Radical mercy turns the other cheek. Now, there are some of you, I think, who are sitting here and you hear that. You've got to turn the other cheek who say, that's only going to get me a beating. Yeah, that sounds like letting bullies beat you up. Now, when I have a hard time understanding what the Bible says, it's usually because I have some personal prejudice. I don't like getting beat up. That sounds like I'm getting beat up. So how do I get past my personal prejudice? Well, I look closely at that Bible passage. And I look exactly what Jesus is saying there. So notice that Jesus says, when someone slaps you on the right cheek, now, think about that. Why does he say, slap you on the right 
peace. Well, it's because in the day of Jesus, when you slap someone on the right cheek, let's say I'm going to slap you, point to your right cheek. If I'm going to slap you on the right cheek, the way I would do it would be backhanded. It'd be hard for me to punch you on the right cheek. But I, I would backhand you. And in the days of Jesus, that backhanded slap across the face was the ultimate insult that you could give. So what Jesus is really saying is that when someone insults you in the greatest way, what should you do? Slap them back. Slap them back. I mean, after all, that's the adrenaline. That's the excitement. But guess what? Slapping them back does not change anything. In fact, it reduces you to the level of the person who insulted you in the first place. Only mercy can cause something to change. Radical mercy says, turn the other cheek. You don't run away. You're not a coward. But you stand there and you look them in the eye with love and you turn that other cheek and you're saying, I'm not going to let your insult make me an insulting person too. I got news for you. Only God can give you the strength to do that. Let me ask you this question, personal question. Whose insult do you need to overlook right now? Who's insulted you lately? Slapped you across the face, literally or figuratively. Now, for slapping on the cheek, I wish I'd have brought it along. I was going to bring my cell phone along this morning. Because I think we slap people across the face today, not so much with our hand, but we use our cell phone sometimes, because that's the way we communicate. I call somebody and I leave them a slap across the face. Or I text them a slap across the face. Or I write a nasty blog and I slap them across the face. Or I get on my Facebook and I write some of the most ungodly, unchristian stuff you'll ever see and I'll slap them across the face. What a bunch of godless cowards this country has produced. Sorry, am I being blunt? <laughs> we hide behind our technology to communicate insults. Now, <clears throat> let me get control of myself for a moment. When you get that text, when you get that email, when you see that Facebook post, when you get that note that you weren't supposed to see, what do you do? Text them back. Post them back. Email them back. No, you turn the other cheek. I mean, you suck it up and be a man and woman of God. Instead of taking the opportunity for revenge, I turn the other cheek. That's radical mercy. I like the second one. Let them take your coat. Somebody wants to sue you and they want to take the shirt right off your back. That's my shirt. I'm going to hold on to my shirt. But Jesus says, guess what? Relationships are more important than stuff. So somebody wants to sue you and take your shirt, why not say, hey, you want a shirt? I got a coat too. You want that? I'll give it to you. Now, that sounds pretty crazy. See, you're giving them what they need rather than deserve. And I know some of you are saying, this is really stupid. You're right. Living a different way of life, a Christ-centered life, is really, really different. Now, I got news for you. Jesus is not talking about lawsuits with businesses here. 
He's talking about you and one other person, another person. You've got a problem with another person. They may sue you. They may have taken something from you that belongs to you. What are you going to do about it? Now, on the one hand, you can sit there and you can spend the rest of your life grieving and being angry and bitter and moaning and groaning. Or you could express radical mercy. See, the truth is, life is not about things. Life is not about stuff. I mean, God can replace stuff. You can go buy stuff. Sadly, we think more about things sometimes than we do about relationships. But somebody in a relationship has to show mercy. Somebody has to present an opportunity for people to change. And that's why I say, hey, here, take the coat too. Radical mercy. If you, oh, but, but what happens if you do that and you don't get the response back you want? Sometimes you extend mercy to people and they're, they're very, not very nice about it. What happens if they're not very nice about it? Well, that happens sometimes. But at least you have opened the door for change. It has now put the ball in their court for them to change. I got to tell you, a lot of us, I don't know if I call this stinking thinking. This is logical thinking, which is really not very good either. Logical thinking is saying, I'm supposed to give my coat and my shirt? I mean, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that if somebody doesn't work, neither should he eat? So if I, somebody didn't work for my shirt, he shouldn't have my shirt. In fact, if I give him my shirt, that's almost like communism. I mean, I'd be a communist if I did that, and I don't want to be a communist, so I'm not going to give him my shirt. That's the logical loop we sometimes allow ourselves to get in. I guess it is stinking thinking. Now, friend, I'm not talking about changing the economic system here. I'm just saying you got a problem with a friend. They cheated you out of something. They shouldn't have done it, but are you going to be angry about it the rest of your life? Let it eat you up, or are you going to be the one to show mercy? Which, by the way, is only done by God's strength, God's power. Remembering God can replace things. Relationships often are gone forever. Here's the third one. Go the extra mile. Let me give you a little background. In the days when this was written, the Roman Empire occupied the country of Israel. A Roman soldier could, by law, say to you, carry my backpack. And by law, you were required to carry it one mile. Now understand, that military backpack weighed somewhere between... 65 to 85 pounds. So when that soldier says, Derek, carry the backpack. Derek went over and picked up that backpack. Derek also knew exactly where one mile was from where he started. <laughs> and so he carries that backpack exactly one mile, not one step further. There, gone. Jesus says, do you want to express mercy and give an opportunity for change to take place? When you get to the end of the first mile, you ought to smile at that soldier and say, I'm good, let's go another mile. Now, what kind of conversations do you suppose you might have on that second mile? History tells us a lot of Roman soldiers 
were, became believers in the early days. I wonder how much of that came in that second mile. I'd ask you, with whom do you need to go the second mile? You've done everything that was expected. You've done your part. You've said everything that anybody ought to say. You've gone the first mile. But see, radical mercy is found where? In the second mile. Here's the fourth thing. Give to anybody, give to somebody who asks. Let me give you an example. Let's say you've, you've got some uh, hedge clippers. And your neighbor doesn't have hedge clippers. And every year, maybe two or three times a year, he comes over and he says, can I borrow your hedge clippers? And you say, yeah, okay. But all the, every time he borrows them, about three weeks later, you've got to go back over to this guy's house and get them. Now, the first couple of times this happens, it's no big deal. But now it's been a number of years, in fact, you've actually had to buy new hedge clippers because you're using them twice as much as you would have, if only you had used them. And now you see your neighbor coming towards your house, and you begin to think, why don't they just buy their own? And then you're starting to think, well, in fact, the last time they borrowed my hedge clippers, they brought them back, and they were all sticky and gummed up and dirty, and I had to clean them. And so just about the time they walk up your sidewalk, you turn off all the lights in the house and pull down the curtains. <laughs> well, see, radical mercy, you've got the power to help someone, help them. Now, many of you probably did this last week without even thinking about it being radical mercy. You, you just helped somebody who needed something. They may not have deserved it, but you just helped them anyway. Here's number five. Love your enemy. I got to tell you, this is where it gets really hard. Those first four, pretty easy, believe it or not. This is love your enemy. See, radical mercy to a friend or a neighbor, that's not bad. I can love my family, I can love my kids, love my grandson, can love some people, but enemies? You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody here got an enemy? If you do, I feel sorry for you. I'll pray for you. But Jesus said, you, you, that's me, need to pray for them. He even told us how to do it. He said, pray for those who hurt you. Well, we got the perfect prayer. Dear God, rain down fire and brimstone on them. Now, I got, I got news for you. You may start your prayer that way. And by the way, David started a lot of his prayers that way. Oh, Lord, you know the people are after me. Slaughter them, you know, beat them up, tear them down. David often started prayers that way in the Psalms, but he still got to a different part. And maybe if you start that way, hopefully you'll get to the part where you'll also be able to say, and by the way, God, by the way, please bless these people. Help them to see your perspective and, and help me to see where maybe I was at fault also in this problem. See, when you begin to pray for somebody who's hurt you, this is one of the most outrageous, radical acts of mercy in this world. And only by God's strength can you even begin to do those kinds of things. I mean, you won't believe how good you'll feel in your heart if you do that. And you won't begin to believe how that can change that relationship. Now, in each of these examples I just gave you, Jesus teaches us the same thing. I don't care whether it's 
turn the other cheek, give me your coat, whatever. Teaches the same thing. He said, instead of going around and taking something from people all the time, let's be people who give them something instead. And when you do that, you show radical mercy. And again, I, you know, some of you probably say, well, that sounds really good, but I've tried it, and it doesn't really work. What are you going to say to that? If you come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I tried this stuff. It doesn't work. I'd probably say, didn't work for who? You know, because if you did it out of God's mercy that he's shown you and you've shown mercy to somebody, it, it, it works for you. Now, but what you're worried about is it didn't change somebody else. You're still dealing with the same jerks. You got to still, you still got people to deal with in your life. It, but, you know, it doesn't always work that way. And I'm going to tell you why. Mercy is messy. Mercy is messy stuff. God's mercy to you and to me was messy. It included Jesus, the Son of God, being born in a stable in Bethlehem. That's messy stuff. The messy part of God's mercy was that cross, that crucifixion, that beating, that blood, that scourging, that suffering, that dying. That's pretty messy stuff. Guess what? It's messy for you and me, too. I mean, people don't always understand us. They misunderstand our motives. They think we're out after trying to get something from them rather than to give it to them. It comes with a mess of people who just plain simple reject what we do, but there are people who reject what God does. I mean, mercy is messy because it's the only thing often that will change anything in life. Like I said, there's been something that's just been messing me over all week, too. In fact, for about the last month, I was reading a little bit of C.S. Lewis, Christian author, and I came across a statement. It's one of these statements in a book. Have you ever read a book like that? It's a statement. It just kind of blows you away. It struck me. He was writing about Pontius Pilate. Remember, Pontius Pilate is the guy that sentenced Jesus to die. And Pontius Pilate really wanted to set Jesus free. But when the political pressure began to bear down on him, what did he do? He bailed. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. I'm standing before you, friends, as somebody who wants to take the risk of showing radical mercy as best as I can. And I'm praying for you, too, that you learn to, to, to take the risk of showing radical mercy. Because unless we do, there's really no possibility for change sometimes to take place. Life does change. Maybe not always as fast as you want it. Maybe not always the way you, you want it. But certainly things change because of God's mercy. Some of you today are here because of God's mercy. You have changed. We've all changed when we come into his family. Here's the mercy challenge God gives us. If somebody asks for help, we give it to them if we can. I show them mercy by doing something. I, I show mercy instead of seeking revenge. I go the second mile. I can pray for people. I can pray for my enemies. And when I do that, guess what? It not only changes them, 
It presents the opportunity for change in relationships. It presents opportunities for change in our culture, in our society, in our families, in our church. And it also does something for me. I, don't, I think there's like one last thing on the outline. I'm not sure. I, I may be way off the outline by now, Laura, so forgive me. But uh, one last couple of last things I'm thinking about. One is that as I show mercy, then I will better know mercy. That's what happens. And I just want to share one last verse. Because it's really where all of this starts. And I'm going to suggest something so radical to some of you this morning, it's going to blow your mind. Because you've never thought about doing this. If I'm going to show mercy, if I'm going to know mercy, if I'm going to express mercy, if I'm going to have radical mercy, it's got to start right here. It starts with me. It can't start with you. It's got to start with your mom or dad or your husband. It starts with you. Where do I start? Here are the passages. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I don't know if it's on the screen. probably on your message outline, but it's this verse. Let us come boldly to the very throne of God and stay there to receive his mercy and to find grace to help us in our time of need. It says, if you don't know how to receive God's mercy, go to his throne, pray, and then it says, and stay there until you've got it all figured out. I mean, don't just say, God, show me mercy. Look around and say, well, I guess nothing happened there. Go to that throne of mercy and stay there. Stay there until you realize that he's poured his mercy out on you. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the life of Jesus is all about. His forgiveness offered to you, he's pouring it out. And if you don't sense it in your life, if you don't understand and sense the forgiveness of God in your life, stay there until you do. Don't give up. Don't bail out too quick. Then when you sense it, guess what? Then you will be able to share it. That's radical mercy. We've all experienced it. At least I hope and pray we have. Now let's show it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the radical mercy you showed us through your son, Jesus Christ. What a messy deal that was, but you did it for us. Lord, as we come to know mercy, encourage us to show mercy as well. And help us understand that this can be a pretty messy deal. But yet we do it too because of our great love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.